0: Hello, people of the way, blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Ruth chapter one, the book of Ruth chapter one. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, the book of Ruth, it's one of my favorite books in all scripture. Now, it's very important to remember that, you know, when we start new books, uh, typically what we do is we set the stage, so to speak. We get our bearings and topography because what it does is it helps us understand things better. But We're not going to do that so much with the book of Ruth, per se, because the entirety of our study in the book of Judges, something that we just got finished studying, the book of Judges, the entirety of the book, it serves as introduction to the book of Ruth. Now, do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our study in Deuteronomy the farewell discourse of old man Moses, do you remember? And do you remember how we highlighted the beauty, the beauty, beauty, beauty of a united Israel? Remember, there was old man Moses and, you know, not to burst anyone's bubble or anything like that, but do you remember in our study in Deuteronomy how we shared that In the course of time, from this beautiful discourse of old man Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, how in the course of time, in Deuteronomy, there's unity in Israel. And in the course of time, we're going to start to see fractures to that unity. Fractures of Israel. Fractures of tribes. Fractures of people, fractures of families, fractures of regions. And at the time in our study in Deuteronomy, it kind of seemed like kind of like a bummer, you know, like, you know, we want to hear the good stuff. We want to hear the good stuff. And we even, you know, when we were studying, we, we even li- likened our study to that very thing where remember like Moses, 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 tell us the good stuff. Tell us the good stuff. We want to hear the good stuff. And Moses, remember, he was relentless in telling them the truth, even the harsh truths. Very important to understand. He was relentless. And at the same time, he applied the truth to himself. Now, remember, Moses, he could not enter the promised land. And in our study in Deuteronomy, how we made mention of the very fact how we would start to see fractures in Israel, fractures in tribes, fractures in peoples, fractions all over the place. And then we have the book of Joshua where, you know, we see how the formula is right in all Israel. And then there's a fracture in Achan. Remember our study in Joshua about Achan? And that is quickly addressed. And then we get to Judges and how the fractures grow and get worse and worse in the course of time. Now, in the book of Judges, there are moments of respite. Moments of respite. And then what happens is the Lord becomes forgotten again and again and again and again. And yes, the Lord raises up Judges and praise be to God. But what about the average Joe and the average Jane, so to speak? Remember, everyone has a choice for themselves. Everyone has a choice to make. And we say, what about the average Joe and average Jane? But what about when the so-called average Joe and average Jane? What about when they're not so average? What about when they're not so average? What about when they're exquisite in beauty? And these are the things that the Lord sees very important to understand. It's very true that we have pastors and teachers today and their task is very, very important. But we each have a walk. Do you remember how, you know, we would very often and still, and we're going to keep on doing it, how we give examples through our time machine. Do you remember? And we've given this example before and we mentioned it again today where you and me, say we get in my time machine and we enter the camp of Israel and just so you know, I'm a Gentile. And maybe you're a Gentile too. Maybe not, but... You and me, we get in my time machine and then we arrive near the camp of Israel. Now, what happens in the... Old Testament times, we get in the time machine, we go back in time, and we arrive near the camp of Israel. Now, what happens is that we're greeted by warriors, because they don't don't know, you know, are we friend or foe? They don't know. And, you know, we tell them, you know, we want to worship your God. We want to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And remember, there are statutes in their law where you and me, we are welcomed. We are welcomed in the camp. And so you and me, we get settled. We have our tent. And then, you know, and then we're, we hear a commotion outside. And then we're, we walk outside. We're like, what happened? And then we realize someone was stoned. And we're shocked, like straight up shocked. And someone got stoned. Remember, we, we were in time machine. We, we, we went back in time. And so we see that someone was stoned and then we inquired like well, what what happened what did he do and then somebody tells us oh he had idols and he refused to get right with God and then right then at that very moment you and me were freaked out super super freaked out and you know especially' say for example that I had a Buddha in my pocket and then say that you're scared too because you had crystals in your pocket and we're so freaked out that we Take those things out of our pockets and we burn them. We take the Buddha, we take the crystals and we burn them. And then we find a Levite and we go to the Levite and we say, you know, Levite, I don't know what his name is, but we say Levite. And then he tells us, listen, it's a good thing that you burn those things. It's good that you burned Buddha. It's good that you burn the crystals. Now let's get you cleaned up. You see what's happening in this example in this description is the means by which you and me can get cleaned up. Now remember, these this is the rules of engagement of the old covenant. This is what happens in the old covenant according to the law. Now, I'm not I'm not it's not to it's not to exalt the law. But understand that the law as our study in Galatians, remember, that the law is still holy. But it's the lesser glory. The greater glory is in the law's fulfillment, which is Jesus Christ. And so you and me, we abide in Jesus Christ today because the new covenant. We are a people of the new covenant. Very important to know this. We are a people of the new covenant. But at the same time, also understand, we get in the time machine, we go back in time. But in the law, there is a means by which we can be clean according to the law. And so we go to the Levite and we say, hey, Levite, you know, we saw that this guy got stoned and it freaked us out so much. I burned my Buddha and, you know, you burned your, you know, you, you, you say that you burned your crystals. And the priest tells us, listen, that's good. That's a good thing that, you know, those things are your denial of idols. That's a good thing. But then he tells us, OK, now let's get you cleaned up. And so in accordance to the law, the means by which we're able to be clean in the sight of the Lord, according to the law. And then something happens in the course of time where it started out as you and me, we were freaked out. We were scared. We started out fearing the Lord. Remember, the fear of the Lord is the beginning, beginning, beginning of wisdom. And, you know, it started out where we feared the Lord. And then in the course of time, something else happened where we learn to trust Him. We trust Him. And in trusting Him and living in His ways, something else happens. Something very special happens. We fall in love with Him. And then something special happens again. Where our love for the Lord is so intense that it reaches a level of faith we not only trust in him we not only love him which are very important but we not only fear him too but we also have a level of faith where our hope is in him it's that inner chamber of faith where it becomes a substance of things unseen you see And in that inner chamber, we also have a hope for something bigger. And that is the seed, capital S, the seed, Jesus Christ, hope. Do you remember our study through Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, where the writer says not being mixed with faith, but then later on, you know, he says not being mixed with faith, but then later on, he says that there are people that did have faith. You see, how is that possible where the majority doesn't have the mixture of faith through the law? They're in the law. But then how is it that there are a people as identified in the book of Hebrews that do have faith? You know what that is? That's a very special remnant. You see? And this is what we see in the book of Ruth. This is what we see so fantastically and beautifully in the book of Ruth. Where in the book of Judges, we see mess upon mess upon mess and straight up ruin upon ruin upon ruin. And we see destruction. We see terrible things. How lukewarmness leads to idolatry, which leads to apostasy, which leads to judgment, which leads to death. Terrible, terrible, terrible things that we see in the book of Judges. And there are moments of, you know, good things. The Lord raises up these judges. But at the same time, we see mess upon mess in the book of Judges. The the, the last several chapters of the book of Judges, they were very difficult. You know, starting with, I mean, we can go back even further, but with Micah's idolatry, which we know how that started too. Remember his mom? Idolatry. And things just got worse and worse and worse and worse. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy, we see the assembly of Israel. And you see unity and unity in all 12 tribes. It is very beautiful. But in the course of time, we start to see fractures in that unity. And then we get to the book of Judges and we see fracture upon fracture upon fracture which leads to mess upon mess upon mess, which leads to ruin upon ruin upon ruin, which leads to destruction and death. How did it start? Lukewarmness, which leads to idolatry, which leads to apostasy, which leads to judgment, which leads to death. Terrible, terrible things. Absolutely. It's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. But that's the book of Judges, what we just wrapped up last week. And not to say, but that's the book of Judges. There's nothing to glean from it because absolutely we can learn a lot from the book of Judges, even more so in these last days when we consider the body of Christ. But meanwhile, meanwhile, around the Judges chapter 9 era, Judges 9, Judges 10, Meanwhile, there's something else that can be seen outside of the 12 tribes, outside of the, any tribe per se, we see something else at the individual level, not a people, not a tribe, individuals, something so exquisitely beautiful can be seen amidst the mess. Remember, judges, mess upon mess upon mess and ruin upon ruin and the destruction. And remember, it didn't have to be this way. It never had to be this way. And we see mess everywhere. But meanwhile, we see something else. And that's where we kick off in Ruth. We see something among individuals, you see, something the Lord absolutely sees. The Lord sees and he wants you and me. He wants us to know about it and captured in scripture amidst all the mess, all the destruction is a beautiful remnant in individuals. You say, okay, that's you know, you're 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 putting Ruth in the Judges era. Okay, okay, but listen, what about today? What about today, where the world is a mess? Straight up, the world is a mess. Everywhere you look, mess and ruin. Countries are in a state of mess and ruin. States and provinces are in a state of mess and ruin. Cities are a mess. Districts are a mess, churches are a mess, pastors are a mess, elders straight up mess, homes are a mess, families are a mess, people are a mess. It's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. Remember the last chapter in the book of Judges where we discover in the last chapter that in the midst of all this mess that they had their annual celebration of the Lord a regular event through the years where it had an appearance of honoring the Lord. But when you look at the goings on of everyday life, we quickly realize that the Lord had become forgotten. And everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, exactly as the Word of God says. And it was true then in the judges' era, and it remains true today. But not so with the remnant. The remnant is entirely different. I mean, when we go back, I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while... You can make this connection, but if you're if you're listening for the first time or you're a new listener, you haven't been walking with us for a while, go back and listen to our study through Deuteronomy. And you'll see like, wow, the assembly of Israel. Wow, it's so beautiful and they're unified. Remember, this is not first generation. It's second generation. First generation is dead. It's the second generation in Deuteronomy. And Caleb and Joshua, don't forget Caleb and Joshua too. And you see in Deuteronomy, it's like, wow, there's unity in Israel, which is a beautiful thing. But what happens is that in the course of time, the Lord becomes forgotten. But then you see something different in the remnant. You see? Among the remnant is found the faithful people who remember the Lord when everybody has forgotten the Lord who hasn't it's the remnant the remnant who remembers the Lord and honors the Lord and worships the Lord and the most high God God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and the Lord changes Jacob's name to Israel God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob who has a son Jesus Christ He sees these individuals. He sees the remnant. And just so you know, before we begin our study in the book of Ruth, just so you know, when we consider the remnant, this is straight up Smyrna and Philadelphia territory. The biblical Smyrna, the biblical Philadelphia, the biblical remnant. I mean, sometimes people, you know, Oh, look, I'm part of the Philadelphian church. I'm part of the Philadelphian church. And they have confidence in being a part of the Philadelphian church. And it's not to say that a believer can't have that confidence. But when fruits and works are examined, sometimes confidence can be misplaced because it reveals Laodicea and not Philadelphia. You see? And then Christians, believers, oh, how dare you, how dare you? I believe in the finished work of the cross. Now listen, to that I say amen. But is God done? Is God done? You see? Because Jesus Christ is the author and finisher and author and perfecter of our faith. You see? There is growth and maturity that needs to happen. Remember in our study in Hebrews 5 and 6, if the Lord permits. You see? Very important to understand these realities in the life of the believer, even more so in these last days. And no way am I suggesting that it was okay to, you know, behave in the manner of Laodicea that it was okay 20 years ago or 50 years ago or 100 years ago, but even more so in these last days, things are coming to pass. We are in the days of fulfillment. We are a last days generation, and God isn't finished. So many times Christians, believers, oh, I believe in the finished work of the cross and that's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, also understand that the Lord, he's not done with us. There is still growth and maturity that has to happen in the life of a believer. But remember, if the Lord permits. And if you're listening for the first time and you're wondering like, what is he talking about? If the Lord permits, go back and listen to our study through Hebrews 5 and 6. Sometimes, sometimes I wish I can speak to certain segments of the body of Christ. Sometimes to men, sometimes to the married people, sometimes to pastors. Now remember in our study in Judges, when we came to Samson, how we made mention where, you know, I wish I could speak to all the teenage boys. Remember? And then we come to the book of Ruth here today. And I wish... I could speak to every single female in the faith. Especially the young girls and teenage girls. Because the book of Ruth, it's one of the most romantic books in all of Scripture. One of the most romantic accounts ever told, only rivaled by one. And that is your betrothal and future marriage to the coming bridegroom. Amidst all the mess that we see in the land. Remember, we just got done with the book of Judges. Where we see the mess upon mess. And it's heartbreaking. It's heart-wrenching. We read, we study, and we look at the book of Judges. It's like, wow, it never had to be this way. And yet we see this beauty in the book of Ruth. You see? And in our generation, amidst all the straight up mess that we see everywhere we look, we see mess upon mess and ruin upon ruin and destruction across the land. And just as we see in the judge's generation, there is still an exquisite beauty to be found. And it's only among the remnant, only among the remnant, that the Lord, he absolutely sees and he absolutely knows. And this I speak of you, beloved saint, at the individual level, we speak of you at the individual level. The book of Ruth, one of the most romantic stories ever told, rivaled only by one, you unto Jesus, the better love story, unto the better husband, unto the better marriage. Now, before we begin, before we begin, there is one verse that I request that you hold tightly in your heart during our studies. And it is found in Romans 7. Turn really quick to Romans 7. Romans chapter 7. It's said to a special people by Brother Paul. But I'm going to boil it down further to the special person. Because in the middle of verse 4, Romans chapter 7 in verse 4, Brother Paul says this. He says, You also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ That you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. And that's what we request, that you hold tightly in your heart. That you are dead to the law, to the body of Christ. That you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Because brother Paul, what he's doing, he also speaks of their better marriage unto the better husband. You see, and in the midst of all the mess and ruin and destruction that we see in the book of Judges, book of Judges is very difficult. Now, the book of Judges with the difficulties that we studied, we also see moments of respite. We also see moments of rest in the land, but even that rest starts to dissipate. But in the midst of all the mess that we see in the book of Judges, we see certain individuals. We gaze upon certain individuals, a certain sequence of events that we see. And we can behold their beauty. We can behold their exquisite elegance. I'm so in love with the book of Ruth. And so we begin our study in Ruth chapter one. And in verse one, we read, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Now, remember, the Lord, he promises bountiful blessings. You know, some passages of scripture promise blessing upon blessing upon blessing where the Lord's just going to blow us away with blessings. There are promises but at the same time, we must never forget effectuation. Never. I mean, if we were to get in my time machine, you and me would get in my time machine, and we were to go and listen to old man Moses speak about blessings in the promised land and we get super excited we're like whoa is could this be real is this is there really blessing upon blessing upon blessing and we get so excited we're we're so exuberant and so we excuse ourselves from the gathering we get back in the time machine and we go to the future a little bit in the future and we set the time to the era of judges and we expect to see Milk and honey galore. We expect to see the promises that Moses gave. We expect to see that. And just straight up milk and honey all over the place. Everywhere you look, everywhere we go, we just milk and honey everywhere. And so we arrive. We open the door to the time machine. And what do we see? Famine. Famine. No food. People starving. What happened? That's not what Moses said. Remember, we just for you know, it we we traveled three seconds. We went well, you know, we went five seconds from today to Moses. We went, well, let's say ten seconds. From today to Moses, we we traveled ten seconds. We got in the time machine. We hear what Moses says, and it's just straight up blessing upon blessing. Milk and honey, galore. We're so excited. We said, okay, we're gonna, we kinda like like tiptoe out because we don't want to cause a scene. And so we get back in the time machine. We set the time, you know, hit the buttons. We set the time and then boom, you know, it's like a, a, a two second travel. And we expect to see like, oh, we can't wait to see the milk and honey. We can't wait to see the milk and honey. We arrive. We open the door. And what do we see? No milk. No honey. We see famine. We see like, you know, skinny people. Everywhere, it's like, whoa, what? This isn't what Moses said. That's not what Moses, I mean, we were just there like five seconds ago. We we just heard what Moses said five seconds ago. We opened the door. Where's the milk? Where's the honey? And then we remember, because our teacher told us. We remember how our teacher told us that effectuation of promise requires obedience. You see? Removal of obedience is removal of promise. And then we realize like, whoa, there's a lot of disobedience in the land. Because, you know, Moses says, milk and honey, milk and honey, milk and honey. We get out of the time machine, no milk, no honey. What happened? Disobedience. You see? Disobedience is what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. And remember... The book of Ruth, it's kind of encapsulated in the judges' generation. And in this era of judges, there is a family. And we see here in verse 1 that when the, the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah. Very interesting. Very interesting what we see here. In the tribe of Judah from Bethlehem. Very interesting. So there's this certain man went to dwell in the country of Moab. Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now, in the Hebrew, it translates as that the family went to sojourn in the land and field of Moab. And in verse 2, the name of the man was Elimelech. Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi. And the name of his two sons were Malon and Chilion or Hilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. Notice, there's a family. They're Ephrathites, and they reside in Bethlehem, in the tribe of Judah. The head of the family is Elimelech. His wife Naomi, and the husband-wife, they have two sons, Mahlon and Chilion. And there's famine in Judah. And there's famine in Judah. So what do they do? They sojourn. They're traveling. And in verse two, it says, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So they settled in Moab. And in verse three, then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. Now, we're going to see things in motion. I mean, things are already in motion, but we're going to see things in motion. Teachings from the law of Moses put into practice. Where do you remember how when we were in our study in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, how quite often we said that when we get into future books of the Old Testament, we're going to understand with this base plate of the law of Torah, with this understanding of Torah and the law and the statutes, we're going to see why the Lord does what he does. And why he doesn't do what he doesn't do. We're going to understand more and we're going to see it put into practice. We've already seen it in the book of Judges. I mean, we've seen it in the book of Joshua too, but we're going to see it at the individual level. We're going to see even more. And, you know, these teachings from the law of Moses, when they're put into practice, where wives have a covering of husband. Now, in the case of Naomi, you know, husband dies, but understand covering is still male. And so it's the sons who are covering, you know, specifically the firstborn. And then there's succession in the event in case the firstborn dies. There's a certain succession. And these are things that we see in the teachings of Moses, in the law, in the statutes. Now, I'm not advocating the law in any way, shape, or form, but these are teachings from the law. And so, in verse 3, we see that Naomi's husband has died, and so what's left is her and her two sons. Now, the two sons, in verse 4, now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there about 10 years. So the two Ephrathite men, Malon and Gileon, they take wives. They take wives. But they take wives that are not Ephrathite. They take wives that are not of Judah. They take wives of Moab. Gentiles. Gentile women. Very interesting. Ruth is Gentile. She's of Moab. So they dwell in Moab for about 10 years. And then in verse 5, we see something. Then both Malon and Kilion also died. So the women survived her two sons and her husband. You see? Naomi. Naomi. The woman survived her two sons and her husband. This biological family is all gone. There's only one surviving member. The matriarch, Naomi who no longer has a male covering notice what's happening here remember we have the base plate of the law we have the base plate of the teachings of moses we have this understanding of torah and we see things put into motion but at the same time where do we see the application of the law in the lives of people remember this is the judge's generation And the entire book of the Judges, the entire book serves as introduction to the book of Ruth. Because amidst all the mess, mess in Israel, mess in tribes, mess in peoples, mess in homes, we see something different. We see something different with Naomi. And here she is. The surviving, sole surviving member of the family. Husband has died. Sons have died. And in verse 6, we see something. Then she arose with her daughters in law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. So she has no more husband, no more sons, and she's gonna return to Judah. Now, remember, there's famine in the land, but now the Lord has provided bread. Remember in our study in the book of Judges, how we look at the jumper cables. And then when restoration comes, we know why it comes. So there's famine in the land. But then when restoration comes, there's no more famine in the land. The Lord visited his people by giving them bread. So we know like, you know, what, what what's happening uh, in in the land but at the same time we look at this particular family now that the family's decimated we look at this particular individual naomi beautiful naomi now this sole survivor this matriarch her sons were married who they also didn't have male coverings because so the husbands have died now so Naomi, she's without her sons. Her sons were adult male. They had wives and now they died. So there's why if you have three widows, a group of three women, no male covering. And in verse seven, therefore, she went out from that place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah and they, so they started on their journey to, Ju, to Judah, but then Naomi stops. In verse 8 we see, and Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, she says, Go, go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So remember, in in, in the, the two women, they're Gentiles. They're Moabites. They didn't deal harshly with Naomi with the death of the man, you know, her husband and two sons. They didn't deal harshly with her at all. And in reciprocating their kindness, Naomi tells them, go back home, return home. The Lord deal kindly with you as you've done to me, as you've been kind to me. There's no animosity here. It's just the opposite. It's this beautiful union. And for the two Gentile women, Naomi, she wants them to stay in Moab. They have family in Moab. It's Naomi who's the sojourner. And so Naomi continues to tell the two women, remember, they're all widows now. All three women are widows. And Naomi, she tells the two women, she says in verse 9, she says, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband, So because of death, all three women are free from the laws of marriage. Because of death, they're free from the law of marriage. The law of marriage no longer applies because their husbands are dead. And Naomi, in a sense, what happens is she starts to talk to them about the next husband for her two daughters-in-law. I mean, we're going to see this in a couple more verses, but we see this expanding, you know, a little bit more. We're going to see it in a couple more verses. But Naomi, what she does is she starts to, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, go back home that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. And we see in verse nine, so she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. What a beautiful moment for these women. Beautiful, beautiful moment. It's sad, yes. Sorrow, absolutely. And yet, even still, there is a beauty that can be seen in this fellowship of women. So the two women, they respond. They're all widows. The two women, they respond. And in verse 10, and they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. That's what they say to her. Surely, we will return with you to your people. Now, it says a lot about the beauty of Naomi, the matriarch. It says a lot about her beauty because she brings up very, very valid realities to the two women. Very valid. And they have a choice to make. But what is their choice? We're with you, Naomi. That's their choice. We're with you, Naomi. But then Naomi presses further. Now, In saying this, in urging them, it's not to hurt them. In urging them to go to stay in Moab and, you know, get married again. No, she's not. It's not to hurt them at all. She wants them to be okay. You see, she wants them to have husbands, ideally with her two sons, but that's no longer possible. They've died. You see? And in verse 11, but Naomi said, turn back my daughter. So she's urging them, go back. Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? You see, Naomi's old. She's old. No husband. No more sons to produce, to raise. No more. But her care as a mother continues to these two Gentile women, these two Moabite women, referring to them as her own daughters. You see, biological, no. Something better. She says in verse 12, Turn back, my daughters, go. For I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons. I'm, I'm so in love with Naomi. I'm so in love with Naomi. Now, No offense. No offense to my sisters in Christ. None whatsoever. And I don't mean to, I don't say this to offend. But no offense, especially to the younger ones, my younger sisters in Christ. But I'll tell you something. There is a great beauty to be found among the older generation of women. And when I say that, I'm not talking run-of-the-mill women. I'm talking about women where the formula is right in them. And the formula is right, and they've been seasoned through time. That's something very special. Very beautiful, very breathtaking. And it's most often found among the old people. Wrinkles, gray hair, and all. Gorgeous in the ways of righteousness. And that's what comes to mind when I think about Naomi. You see, she's not, she's not saying these things to hurt these two Moabite women. It's, it's not to hurt them. She's looking out for them. She says in verse 12, go back. Go back, my daughters. She says, I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons. Look how she's looking out for them. And it's so sad, and, you know, and not to hurt anybody's feelings in saying this. But there is great beauty found in the older generation. Most churches today shun the older generation. But they do so to their own peril. And say, Naomi what she says here in verse 12 If I should say I have hope should, should have a husband tonight And should also bear sons In verse 13 Would you wait for them till they were grown Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands She's old Naomi she's old There are certain things that are now Impossibilities for her And these are Very real things that these younger women, they're, they're all widows, but these younger women, they have to understand because they are applicable to them. If Naomi, if, if I were to have a child, if I were to have a, a son, would you wait for them till they were full grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? And so that's why Naomi, she's the older lady, the matriarch. And she's telling them, listen, go back home. Go back to what you know. Go back to your families. Go back to what you're accustomed to. She's looking out for them. And I want to say something to my sisters who are single. I get, I understand the desire to be married. I mean, maybe not to the, not to the the, degree that you do, but it's understandable and it's not a bad thing at all, but never, ever, ever, ever forget our marriage, your marriage unto Jesus. Never. The wedding hasn't happened yet. It is a future event, but never forget your marriage unto Jesus, the better husband. And sometimes women, you know, even, you know, young teenagers, you know, oh, but, you know, I want to be married and I want to bear children. Listen, that's not a bad thing either. That's not a bad thing. But remember when we looked at Romans 7, because in Romans 7, it is also written, you know, when when Paul says that you may that you may be married to another to him. And he says to bear fruit unto him. It's a spiritual fruit. You see? And it's just another perspective that will help us together grow and understand and mature in Christ. Never, ever forget the better marriage, the better husband. And sometimes Christians lose sight of that, both male and female. But I wish I could speak to, you know, all my sisters in Christ. Sometimes we lose sight of this. Never forget the better marriage unto the better husband. And that's Jesus Christ. Now to those married, there's also another perspective that comes with maturity where Paul says, let the married be as though they are not married. You see, that we may please the Lord. A lot of married people don't like hearing that. A lot of married Christians don't like hearing that. Well, what do you mean that we're married? But you want us to pretend that we're not married? No, 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 no. And that comes with maturity but it's that we may please the Lord very important to understand and Naomi what she's doing she's the matriarch an older older gal beautiful and she's bringing up these real issues to Orpah and Ruth the very very real issues and here in the Old Testament where we observe Israel according to the flesh And Naomi is telling them, will you wait, my daughters? Will you wait? I mean, you know, if if I should marry again and and if I should give birth again and if I should have a son again, you know, are you going to wait for that son to to grow up? Are you going to wait? And, you know, if if you don't wait for that, are you going to restrain yourselves? Are you going to wait? And so what she's doing is she's telling them, Stay here. She's looking out for them. As painful as it is, she's looking out for them. And she says, no, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Now, we can't deny the fact that Naomi's in pain. That's undeniable. She no longer has a husband. She no longer has her kids, or sons. But I wish I could go back in time to tell Naomi, no, no, no. No, precious woman. The hand of the Lord is not against you. But something is happening. We have to understand that in this study in the book of Ruth, something is happening. And Naomi, she's not presently privy to. Remember, this is the, in the times, in the era of the judges. And here in Ruth chapter 1, at this particular moment, at this particular juncture, Naomi, she's not privy to this. And the Lord, he's seeing everything. And captured in the canon of scripture, the Lord, he's showing us too he wants you and me to know this and so what happens in verse 14 in this fellowship of three women three widows what happens in verse 14 then they lifted up their voices and wept again whoa just like in verse 9 they lift up their voice and weep and they do it again here in verse 14 they do it again these realities that naomi speaks of are matters of deep importance for Orpah and Ruth. And, you know, that's an understatement because in today's generation, we're removed from that. I mean, you know, we're talking about livelihoods here. Because in today's generation, women, women can have, you know, good jobs, killer jobs. You know, they can be CEOs and, you know, in a lot of ways, run circles around men and have the fat paycheck to prove it. But back in the day, they didn't have that in the Ruth chapter one generation. There wasn't that level of ease that we see today. So Naomi, she's bringing up these realities. We're talking livelihood here. Naomi, she no longer has covering of husband. And so in the law, when the husband dies, the covering now goes to the son. Son number one dies. Now the male covering is the last surviving son. But now he dies. And now Naomi no longer has male covering. And then you have the daughters or, or you know, her, 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 the, the, the wives of her sons. They're they're with Naomi, but Naomi as matriarch. And it's not to be hurtful at all, but she's bringing up these realities like, listen, you know, stay here stay here i can't you know are you gonna wait like if i should have a husband again and then you know if you know i should be pregnant again and if i give birth again and you know he's male i mean remember there's 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 two widows here so you know is that is is she gonna give birth to one son and then birth to another son and then in the course of time wait for them to be full grown so that they can have new husbands and so Naomi she's bringing up these very real issues in their own livelihoods stay here you guys Naomi old the matriarch old woman Naomi in this exhortation a painful exhortation i meant think of the pain think of the hurt husband dead that's painful. Firstborn son dead. That's painful. And then her final son dead. And then on top of that, think of just that pain, which is, I can't even say it's very difficult. It's, it's beyond very, it's like it's extremely difficult times infinity. That's major pain. But then at the same time, the the wives of her two sons, she's telling them, no, stay here. Stay here. Consider, Consider your own livelihoods. Get married again. Stay here with what you know. And so notice what happens here in verse 14. They lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. In this fellowship of three women, Orpah, she factors in what Naomi speaks. And she decides to leave. And Ruth, she also factors in what Naomi speaks. And you know what she says? That's nice. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you, Naomi. And Ruth, what happened? She straight up clung to Naomi. Mother unto daughter, daughter unto mother. Much, much, much deeper than biological. And Naomi speaks in verse 15. And she says, look. or And she said, look. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Now remember, Orpah and Ruth, they're Moabites, Gentiles. Everything they've been accustomed to, how they were raised, their own families, you know, brothers, sisters, uncles, aunts. They have their own sphere of biological influence. The gods that they worship in Moab. They were accustomed to the ways of Moab. I mean, one could say, but, you know, Israel has inherited the land. Remember our study in Deuteronomy. Moses, he was very certain to point it out. You're inheriting the land, yes. But remember, it's not because you're awesome. Remember, how many times did we highlight that point from Deuteronomy? You're going to inherit the land, but it's not because you're awesome. Remember, because you are a stiff-necked people. Remember, Moses told them. And in the era of judges, the Lord has become forgotten. And yet we see something different at the individual level. We see the application of the law. She hears and she does. Male covering in husband, he dies. Male covering in firstborn, he dies. Male covering in secondborn, he dies. No more covering. And in caring for the two daughters, she says, no, stay here. Stay here. Get married again. Considering their own livelihoods. And Naomi brings up these very real issues for them. Orpah, she makes her choice. And she returns to her people and to her gods. And now, Naomi, now she's speaking to only one woman. Ruth. Ruth. Now, Ruth, she has no understanding of God's provision to the same degree of Naomi. Now because remember Naomi she's Hebrew. She's Hebrew. I meant for, for for her to hear that the Lord has provided bread in Judah that's that's one thing. For 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 Naomi to hear that the Lord has provided bread in Judah. She's Hebrew. She has that understanding. She has that understanding of, you know, what she was taught, you know, by her own parents among her own people. She's Hebrew. But for Ruth to hear it, a Moabite, a Gentile to hear, what? what, what is this bread from God? What what, what? what is this? For Ruth to hear that is different than for Naomi to hear that. Very important to understand. Remember, Ruth is Gentile, Moabite. The gods that were known to her as Moabite. And there was this intersection of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob during her marriage. Ruth, married to a Hebrew. And this intersection, yes, there was this intersection, but as experiential at that level, especially historically, Ruth didn't have that. I meant. Just for example, I'm American. I was going to say, say I'm American, but, you know, I'm American. Just so you know, I'm American. And I teach presently from America. But if you and me say you're also American and we were to travel to Japan and you and me were in America and we go to Japan. So we leave LAX and we we land in Japan, Tokyo. And there we are in Tokyo. And we can talk to a Japanese person about America, but at the experiential level, they don't understand. And even if we were to talk about American history, say we're to talk about like, you know, the revolutionary war or some type of historical point in the United States, the Tokyo person, the Japanese person they're not going to understand at the same level as us, especially at the historical level and what it means to us. It's a little different. And vice versa. Say the Japanese person were to fly from Tokyo to LAX and have a discussion uh, with us about the history of Japan and life in Japan. We can kind of get an idea of what he or she is talking about. But at the experiential level, it's different for the Japanese person. And that's what's happening with Ruth. For for Naomi to hear that, wow, you know, we hear that there's, you know, bread from God. and, And so, you know, I'm going to Judah. I'm going to Bethlehem. At the experiential level, it's one thing for Naomi. But for Ruth and Orpah, they don't have that. The same way you and me with the Japanese or the Japanese with us. It's the same way. Ruth doesn't have that. And yet, factor in these realities that she has to consider for her own livelihood. She still clings to Naomi. Mother to daughter. Daughter to mother. Not biological. Deeper. Better. Notice what we see here in verse 16. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you. I'm so in love with Ruth. Entreat me not to leave you, she says. Look what's happening. Three husbands have died, we have three widows. Now there is this push or urging, so to speak, and not in a bad way at all. It's the matriarch Naomi saying, Hey, stay here. You guys stay here. My daughters, you know, I can't produce husbands for you. And if I could, would you wait? She says, no, stay here. You can get married again and your livelihoods. Everything's going to be fine for you. And there's this urging for separation, which isn't in a bad way at all. Naomi, she's looking out. As mother unto daughters, she's looking out for them. And what happens? They lift up their voices and weep. And they do it again and weep. And after more urging, one leaves. But there's a stubbornness with one. There's a stubbornness. And I don't say stubborn in a bad way. I say it in a gentle and beautiful way. She hasn't just refused to leave Naomi. She's straight up clinging to Naomi, Ruth. And in this gentle stubbornness, she's refusing to heed Naomi. And we often associate strong refusals and stubbornness with things carnal. And they absolutely can be. But there is also strong refusal and stubbornness on the opposite side of the spectrum, where is also found humility, gentleness, and meekness. And Naomi, the matriarch, old woman Naomi, she's urging the women to stay in what is accustomed to them. And both refuse. And Naomi urges more. And now one leaves except for Ruth. She clings to Naomi. She says to her, Entreat me not to leave you. Ruth says to her, Entreat me not to leave you. You know what that is? Beg me not to leave you. Her request unto matriarch Naomi, beg me not to leave you. Have you ever desired to be desired? And not in a carnal sense but something much, much deeper. Where you desire to be with the person because it's home. Location and place irrelevant. You desire home. Remember, Naomi, the matriarch old woman, Naomi, she's not going to retire in the Hamptons. She's not going to retire in Barbados. No. Ruth isn't wanting to piggyback or leech off Naomi. And, you know, we have to have things in proper perspective here. Naomi herself is in a pickle because there's no male covering. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead. And that's devastating. From it, mean, when we look at this series of events that unfold in our studies in the book of Ruth, we can't forget that pain. I mean, That's severe pain. That's the kind of pain that every single second of every single day is very difficult. And that's an understatement. That's a severe pain. It's not just her husband that has died. Her firstborn son is dead. Her secondborn son is dead. And there's that pain of death and words can't describe that level of pain but on top of that she has no male covering the very fact that these two women the 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 the, the, the two Moabites the two Orpa and Ruth the very fact that they are with Naomi says a lot about Naomi. Because that's not, it's not like, you know, Naomi's gonna be in, you know, the Bahamas. No, she's in a very bad situation. It says a lot about her beauty. It says a lot about something beautiful in Naomi that's desirable, that is a sweet aroma. And Naomi Pleading with them to stay. Says even more about her beauty in looking out for her daughters. Remember, not biological. It's deeper. She says, no, you guys stay here. Finally, one relents and says, okay, I'm going to stay here. Except Ruth, she's clinging on to her. She's clinging on to her. You see, it's very true. These realities that that Naomi speaks of, the, the matriarch, old woman Naomi, it's very true. She brings up these very real issues and these factors. And yeah, Ruth, she knows Moab. Yeah, she has family in Moab. Yeah, there's familiarity and comforts offered in Moab. And yet here she is. Denying it all. Clinging to a woman that is not even her biological mom. And begging Naomi. To beg for her back. Desiring to be desired. And treat me not to leave you, she says. What a beautiful, beautiful moment. Yes, there's the pain. Yes, there's the sorrow. Yes, there's the hurt. I meant... All three women have lost husbands. That's we, we, that's a deep pain. And Orpah, she returns to, 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 to Moab. Ruth is clinging. Both Naomi and Ruth, they've lost husbands. And in the case of Naomi, she's lost husband and two sons. That's severe pain. And yet, you see, they lift up their voices and weep. I wonder what men would say at observing this interaction. I wonder what the men would say. Maybe rolling their eyes. Maybe shunning the emotions. Maybe detesting the emotions and sensitivities. understand. Part of the fall of man is the loss of sensitivities. Men are blind to certain things, such as this beautiful interaction, this beautiful interaction that we see with Naomi and Ruth, mother unto daughter and daughter unto mother, not biological, more special. It's deeper. I want to say something to my beautiful sisters in Christ. You do have emotions and sensitivities that are incredibly beautiful. And men, these are things that men do not have. And men, they might shun it and detest it. But you know what? Ignore them. Do not shun nor detest the emotion and sensitivity that God gave you. Do not shun them. God gave them to you. But, 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 but. You must understand formula. You must. Because clinging to something wrong is deadly. Straight up, deadly. You cling to something wrong, it's deadly. Yes, have beautiful emotion. Yes, have beautiful sensitivities. Those are things that the Lord gave you. But you have to understand formula. Because you cling to something wrong, it will bring great harm to you and those with you. For example, for example, remember when Paul says in the uh, uh, Corinthian church, he says, you have 10,000 teachers, but one father. Now consider Chloe. Consider Chloe. Consider the God-given emotions and sensitivities of beautiful Chloe. Where Chloe... She has an assortment of 10,000 teachers to cling to. I mean, one could look at her situation and think Chloe is perfectly fine because she has a wide array of teachers. But when we understand formula, we know that there are inherent dangers to the 10,000 teachers. And so what does she do? She clings to Paul. You see? Now consider the sisters in Chloe's home in that fellowship with their God given emotions and sensitivities. You see, remember a plethora of pastors, a plethora of elders, a plethora of teachers and a whole lot of mess in Corinth. You see, but with these God given sensitivities, God given emotions, Guidance of the Holy Spirit and understanding of formula. Where was Goshen? You see? It was in Chloe's home. When all the mess spread across Corinth, where was it safe? Observe where the safety was. You see? That was a beautiful fellowship. Fellowship. Women, home fellowship. Let us not forget that it was the disciples at the crucifixion of our Lord. Let us not forget that it was the disciples. It was the men who were the scaredy cats. The women had great courage. Turn really quick to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul says this in verse 1. Remember, this is Pastor Paul to young Pastor Timothy. He says this in verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, in verse 1, we see, of course, there are many points of peril when we consider the events of the last days, severe peril that will grow worse and worse and worse and worse. But Paul he first points to the works and the fruits of the flesh. He says in verse 2, For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. In verse 5, Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. Very interesting. A form of godliness, wherein the Greek translates as an appearance of godliness. An appearance of godliness, but the power? There is denial, disavowing, contradicting, rejecting, and refusal. That's how it translates in the Greek. Yeah, it looks godly but a denial, disavowing, contradicting, rejecting, and refusal of power. No power, no oil, no light. But they have an appearance of godliness. Very important. Because today we have pastors who claim the power and the moving and the gifting of the Holy Spirit is not for today. That's what pastors today are saying. They say it was for the early church. We have pastors today who say the Holy Spirit is found at the cemetery. Pastors today who drop glitter down from the rafters and they call it the Holy Spirit. There are pastors, elders, and teachers today who have an appearance of godliness. They have an appearance of godliness. But the fruit and the works reveals something else, that they deny, contradict, and reject. The power of this godliness. It looks godly. They look it. But when you look closer, they ain't it. And Paul says this. He says in verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And he says, and from such people turn away, exclamation point. From such people turn away, exclamation point. He says in verse 6, for of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able Never able, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what Paul says to Timothy. Pastor Paul to Pastor Timothy. Remember, this isn't Paul's letter to the body. This is Paul's letter to Pastor Timothy. Very important. Paul doesn't tell the body to turn away from such people. Paul tells the pastor to turn away from such people. And in speaking to Timothy about these matters, he speaks about the gullible women that Paul points out. And these gullible women, they do have their God-given sensitivities and God-given emotions, but they do not understand formula. You see? Take a pastor today. Take a pastor today. Who has an appearance of godliness, but denies the power. Have you ever heard a woman heap accolades on these people? I mean, men do it too. But I'm specifically pointing out the women. I mean, Paul does it here. And they heap all these accolades. A pastor who says that the power and the moving and the gifts of the Holy Spirit were for another dispensation. They're not for today. You know what that is? That's denying the power. And the pastor says, oh, and while you're at it, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. These are things that are being taught today in pulpits from pastors. And that's what the pastors say. Have you ever heard a woman heap nothing but accolades on such men? And then the woman buys book after book after book after book and reads more and reads and reads and reads and reads. Such women, such women fulfill scripture. Such women fulfill scripture. Always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Remember, knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see, remember our study in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit skips over. You see? Knowledge is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And we see the Holy Spirit skips over. It still happens today. The Holy Spirit skips over just like we see in the book of Acts. These women fulfill scripture because they're always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth except we see truth is withheld which fulfills even more scripture because they have no love of the truth. The sovereign God gives them strong delusion that they will believe the lie. It's judgment. Straight up, it's God's judgment. Which fulfills even more scripture. Judgment comes first to the house of God. You see, the woman submits herself to the pastor exactly like the Bible says, but without understanding formula. And the thousands of, it is also written, she submits herself to the wrong pastor. And Paul, he doesn't tell the women to separate from these men. He tells Pastor Timothy to separate from these men turn really quick to 1st Timothy chapter 4 1st Timothy chapter 4 and in 1st Timothy chapter 4 verse 16 Paul says to Timothy take heed to yourself and to the doctrine continue in them for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you you see, women, women, who understand formula, they know. They know. I mean, in the era of Timothy, all these women they want to heap accolades on Alexander. All these women they want to heap all these accolades on Hymenaeus. Okay, I'm with Pastor Timothy. You see, I'm with Pastor Timothy. The formula is right in Timothy. He's the full package and he watches out for my soul. See, women, they could submit themselves to Alexander. They could submit themselves to Himenaus. And Timothy warns or Paul warns Timothy about the works and the fruit of such men who take advantage of gullible women. You see? But a wise woman, understanding formula, can know, you know what, Alexander, no way, I cannot submit to him. Yeah, he's a pastor. Yeah, he's got the pastor parking spot. That's nice. I'm not going to submit myself to him. A woman could say "Himeneas, yeah, he's got the pastor parking spot. But the formula is not right in him, so I'm not going to submit myself to him. See, Paul, he's died now, but he, Timothy, you know, was his student. I'm going to submit myself to Pastor Timothy. And Timothy, in heeding Paul, has separated from Alexander, has separated from Hymenaeus, And so a woman submitting to Timothy as pastor She knows about formula. The wise woman knows about formula. She knows that Timothy is the full package and she knows that Timothy watches out for her soul. You see, Paul, he doesn't tell women to separate from the imposter. He doesn't tell the women. He tells the pastor. He tells Timothy. The question is this. Who's with Timothy? Who's with Timothy? Well, remember, in doing this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. That's what Pastor Paul says to Pastor Timothy. Who's with Timothy? I'll give you the answer. Only, 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 only the remnant. You see? Only the remnant. It's very important for my beautiful sisters to understand this. I love you. Your emotions, your sensitivities, God gave them to you. But we have to be wise. You see? Because if we, you know, back in the day in the era of Timothy and Hymenaeus and Alexander, think of all the women with their sensitivities. Oh, I'm so in love with how Hymenaeus teaches us. Oh, he's such a great teacher. Oh, I'm so in love with how Alexander teaches us. He's such a great teacher. And then a a woman could say, Oh, you know what? I really like how Timothy teaches us. Kind of hardcore, but we need to hear that. A little hardcore. It reminds me of James when James says, You know, you adulterers and adulteresses, you know, that the problem isn't the Lord. The problem is you. You pray and ask, but you ask amiss. You see? And so sometimes men, men don't understand this. A lot of men look down on emotions. A lot of men look down on sensitivities. They say, oh, you know, you're too sensitive. You're overly sensitive about this. You're overly sensitive about that. Listen, that's how God made you. For my sisters, that's how God made you. And God doesn't make mistakes. These sensitivities, these emotions, they're beautiful. But we have to be wise. You see? You submit to Alexander, you're in trouble. You submit to Him Aeneas, you're in trouble. You submit to Timothy. Wow, praise be to the Lord. Remember what, what Peter says? For so an entrance, you know, like ushering into paradise. Remember, Peter has guarantees. Biblical guarantees. Very important. Let's go back to Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1. And in Ruth and also in Naomi, also with Orpah, we see these beautiful emotions and sensitivities. And then as Naomi is pleading with the two, one leaves. And she remains in, in Moab. And there is one, Ruth, who's clinging to her mother, not biological, better, you see. And with these God-given, beautiful emotions, beautiful God-given sensitivities of Ruth, We also see humility and meekness. And when you look a little bit closer, we see something else. Formula. Formula. And in Ruth chapter 1 verse 16, Baruch said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. For your people shall be my people. And your God, my God. What is this? What? <laughs> what is this? I mean, we just finished the book of Judges. Very, very painful, difficult subject matter. When the Lord has become forgotten and what happens when lukewarmness leads to idolatry, which leads to apostasy, which leads to judgment, which leads to death. Very Painful, 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 the book of Judges. And there's glimmers of light. These Judges that the Lord raises up. But having just finished the book of Judges where we see mess upon mess upon mess, upon ruin, upon ruin, upon ruin, and destruction upon destruction. What is this? What is it? Who is this woman? Ruth, a Gentile, is straight up, you know, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where in all Israel can a heart like this be found? Ruth is Gentile. And she continues. In verse 17, where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. You see, in Ruth. A complete and total denial of Moab. A complete and total denial of what she's accustomed to. How she was raised, her biological family, her biological mother, and she's clinging to Naomi, a different kind of mother, a different kind of family, the better kind. And Ruth continues. In verse 17, she says, Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. Ruth, who is this woman? In her gentle and humble stubbornness, she's telling Naomi, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going anywhere, Naomi. What kind of beauty is this? Especially having finished the book of Judges and knowing that the time, the, the era, or the, the, this time period or time slot, so to speak, of Ruth, can, we can pick up the book of Ruth and put it right in the middle of the book of Judges. That's the time slot. And in the midst of all this mess, we see what in the world, what kind of beauty is this? When the Lord has become forgotten and all of a sudden she's just straight up saying, you know, your people will be my people and your God shall be my God. What? I want to say something to my sisters, young and old. There is nothing. There is nothing more beautiful, nothing more exquisite, nothing more gorgeous than righteousness. Nothing. I don't care how chubby you are. I don't care how skinny you are. I don't care how wrinkly you are. I don't care if you're missing a leg. I don't care if you're missing an arm. I don't care if you're missing two legs. There is nothing more gorgeous than righteousness. Remember, we just finished Judges. Painful passages. How many times do we see Israel doing evil in the sight of the Lord? And yes, the Lord hurts. But picture his delight. Picture the Lord's delight. When his eyes gaze upon this Gentile named Ruth. Telling Naomi. Gentile telling Hebrew daughter telling mother not biological better and Ruth saying your people my people your God my God what a sweet aroma in the midst of all the mess you see this profound beauty So what does Naomi think of this stubbornness of Ruth? Well, we see in verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. (laughs) She stopped speaking to her. Now, in the year 2023, today, we're somewhat distanced from Naomi and Ruth. But we can't lose sight. We can't lose sight of the fact of the The range of emotions alone is through the roof. I mean, they're both widows. Both have lost husbands. They've both experienced loss, major loss. The lineage of Naomi, according to the flesh, it's done. It's done. Naomi gave birth to two sons, nursed them, raised them. And now they're dead. We can't lose sight of that. The severity of pain. And with this range of emotion, deep pain, no more husbands, no more sons. And sometimes men, they look down on this female emotion, female sensitivities. Men are blind to it because of the fall of man. And to my sisters, listen, that's how God made you. God doesn't make mistakes. You were created with the emotion that you have. You were created with the sensitivities that you have. But we have to be wise. We have to be wise. You see? All of us in submission to the Word of God. You see? Because emotion can lead down the wrong track but with growth, with maturity, just like with Timothy, Alexander, and Hymenaeus. In submission to Hymenaeus, hey, that's the wrong path. In submission to Alexander, hey, that's the wrong path. But you find that Timothy, and it is safe to submit to such a pastor. Why? Because he watches out for your soul. He knows he's going to give an account. You see, this is emotions, sensitivities that, frankly, men don't have as a result of the fall. Men don't have. I mean, if the Lord were to ask me and say, you know, have your army, assemble an army for the last days. Assemble warriors for the last days. I tell you the truth. The majority would be women. And maybe two guys. The majority would be women. It's something, you look at the disciples. When they were afraid of the Romans, they were scaredy cats. But the courage, that was found with the women. You see? And for men, if you're listening and you're male, listen, if you're blind to these very true realities, you know what that means? We have to die more. We have to reckon the old man to be dead even more. You still have more dying to do. You see? This range of emotion is so beautiful. Undeniable pain. Death has happened to Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. Orpah went back to Moab. And in this beautiful fellowship, a beautiful union of two women in verse 19. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened that when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was excited because of them, and the women said, "Is this Naomi?" But she said to them, "Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara." Whoa. In the Hebrew, Naomi means grace. Mara, in the Hebrew, means angry and bitter.. Whoa. This is undeniable. The heart of Naomi is straight up broken, broken. I mean, that's an understatement. She's in pain. She's in severe pain. She hurts. But understand, we serve a mighty God. Keep this pain of hers. Keep it in mind as we observe the events that unfold in the coming weeks in our study in the book of Ruth. And Naomi says, Don't call me Naomi. Naomi means grace. Don't call me that. She says, Call me Mara. Angry and bitter. Look at the death. No husband. Firstborn, gone. Secondborn, gone. No male covering. She's not going to retire in the Hamptons, Barbados. She's not, no. She's not going to Boca. She's in severe pain. Don't call me Grace. Don't call me Naomi. Call me angry. Call me bitter. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She says in verse 21, I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. Undeniable pain. The pain of a wife. The pain of a mother. No more husband. No more son. Number one. No more son. Number two. And she left Bethlehem with husband and sons. That's how she left. She comes back without them. That's severe pain. I mean, if husband wasn't enough, then if son wasn't enough, both sons are gone. That's deep, deep, deep pain. Sometimes those who hurt get very mad at Christians. Because the believer, the Christian just throws out a Bible verse to problems and situations without a higher degree of tenderness. Where a person experiences devastating loss, just like Naomi. Undeniable pain. And the Christian just throws out a verse and expects something good. Listen, if you're listening, and I've described you where you have experienced loss and you get mad at Christians. You get mad at believers who just, they throw out a verse and expect you to be fine and dandy. And you've experienced this loss and a loved one is no longer with you. I only make this one simple request unto you. Just one. Walk with me. That's it. Walk with me. Hold my hand. I'll hold yours. And we'll walk together. That's it. Walk with me. Something's going to happen in the course of time. I promise. In verse 22, say, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. We've come to the end of chapter one in the book of Ruth, chapter one. And for the next several weeks in our study in Ruth, we're going to see a series of events unfold. And we're going to see the goodness of the Lord. We're going to see the goodness of his mighty works, his mighty hand, his tender hand, his love, his care. And we're going to see ashes, Trade it in for beauty. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days, God bless you. I love you.